Dagon's Illusion, Episode 21, Madame LaLaura. Gasping for air and swearing with every gasp, Jack Carsons crawled like a wounded slug out of the stairwell and into the hall leading to his office. He was soaking wet, and his long dyed hair lay pasted to his head, revealing the plugs in his scalp where they had been planted. He was bleeding from dozens of cuts. The worst one was a gash that had almost taken off his right ear. As he cursed and trembled with rage, the hanging ear flapped as though cheering him on. With hate in his eyes, he dragged himself to his feet, then staggered, doubled over to the broken doors leading into his office. To his amazement, when he entered, he found Amelia sitting on the massage table in the lotus position with her eyes closed. What the hell are you doing? Her eyes flew open and she shrieked as though seeing the living dead. He stumbled toward her, screaming, You're sitting here meditating? Jack, you're alive! She started to sob. I'm in agony and you're meditating! He threw you off the roof. It's a miracle! Carsons dropped into a chair. I fell into the swimming pool and you didn't even come to look for me! I thought you'd be a bloody mess on the street and I just couldn't stand to see it. You know how I hate blood. Oh, baby, you're alive. But look at your ear. It's half cut off. I think I'm going to be sick. She started to gag. You dumb bitch. Stop that or I'll throw you off the roof myself. Why are you still alive? I don't know. After he threw you off, he just ignored me. I messed up inside, which is made much worse because I had to crawl up eight flights of stairs. I need help. Baby, what are we going to do? The phones aren't working. I tried to call the police. Oh, God, who was that monster? Carsons groaned. Help me up. Amelia went to him. He draped his arm across her shoulders. Then together they staggered slowly to a far corner of the office that was lined with books. Leaning heavily on her, he reached toward a shelf. On it sat a massive collection entitled The Story of Civilization by Will and Ariel Durant. Pulling out Rousseau and the Revolution, he dropped it onto a small table and fumbled it open. The inside had been gutted to form a box with a thick velvet pad. Embedded in it were three crystal skulls. Though they shared a primitive ugliness, each was the work of a different artist in a different culture. One was milky white, another clear, and the third dark with shadows. Help me get them out! As he clawed at them, Amelia removed one and almost dropped it. Damn it! Be careful! Set them up! You know the order! She lined the skulls in front of him. Now help me do this! With a groan, Carsons leaned over, covering two of them with his hands. Hold on to me! I'm dizzy! She grabbed him around the waist. Then he lowered his forehead onto the skull in the center. Suddenly, above the howl of the storm, there came a high, soft whistling. Slowly, it grew louder, and a deep vibration rumbled in the room. An odd vagueness filled the air, and everything lost the hard edge of materiality. Is it opening? Not yet. The vibration grew until the table was shaking. It's doing it. As Amelia stared, a span of bookshelves across from them began to dissolve. Gradually, they transformed into an ancient wall of hand-cut stones, slick with black mold and lichen. Set deep into it was a crude wooden door. Is it fully there yet? Yes. Okay, help me. 
Lifting his head, Carson's draped his arm over Amelia's shoulder. They staggered to the door and lifted a rusting latch. With a rasp, it swung open. Beyond was a tunnel leading into darkness. Moving slowly, they followed it around a bend toward a dim light. Finally, they stepped out into a musty room. Paneled walls were lined with shelves. Several long tables were covered with mysterious instruments. Twisted tubes connected blackened flasks and beakers to ancient jars filled with a residue of foul-looking liquid. On the shelves squatted dozens of small cages. In them lay desiccated lumps of dirt that bristled with bones and fur and feathers. Everything in the room was overlaid with a thick mantle of dust and mold. Moonlight struggled to shine through a single grime-encrusted window. Get the cults! Exhausted, Carsons leaned against a roll-top desk. Amelia went to a closet. From inside, she extracted a pair of long wool capes and broad-brimmed hats. After putting on hers, she draped the other around him. The hats shadowed their faces. With Amelia propping him up, they struggled down a long wooden staircase. At the bottom was a door. Opening it, they emerged onto a gas-lit street. A full moon shone down on the French quarter of New Orleans. But it wasn't the city of their world. Tacked on a nearby wall was a crude sign. Notice of importance. All good citizens are invited to attend a mass meeting on Saturday, March 14, 1879, at 10 o'clock a.m. at Clay Statue to take steps to remedy the failure of justice in the Hennessy case. Come prepared for action. Carsons and Amelia stared furtively around. The cobblestone street was empty. Slowly they began walking, avoiding the vaporous glow of the gas lamps. But with every step the man was growing weaker. They had gone half a block when suddenly they heard a clattering racket. Behind them, a horse-drawn carriage turned a corner and headed in their direction. Though they tried to fade into the shadows, it pulled to a stop next to them. A black driver in livery climbed down from his perch. In a honeyed drawl, he whispered, Mother sent me to find you, sir. It's dangerous to be walking the streets after dark these days. Please, sir, if you and uh, the madam would be so good as to get in. He helped them climb into the carriage. Groaning, Carsons collapsed onto the soft cushions while Amelia sat beside him, holding his head on her lap. Don't think I'm gonna make it. You will, Jack. Don't give up. We'll be there soon. There were tears in her eyes as she stroked his matted hair, trying not to touch the dangling ear. The driver clicked to the horse and the carriage swayed off through the darkness. In a few minutes it pulled to a stop. Amelia looked out the window. They were in front of a lovely two-story Victorian house decorated with ornate gingerbread. The driver jumped down and opened the door. Please wait here, ma'am. I'll get help. Hurrying into the house, he came back moments later with two very large African men dressed in formal evening wear. Gently, they lifted Carson's and carried him into the building. Amelia trailed behind. Inside, they passed through a lavish parlor heavy with brocade and lace. Soft candlelight glowed through delicate stained-glass shades. Scattered around the room were pillowed love seats nestled next to exquisite tables. On the seats sat half a dozen lovely young women in expensive gowns, 
waiting for their services to be required. The women showed no interest in what was happening, as though seeing bloody people carried through the house was a regular occurrence. Carson's was transported down a long hall to a door at the end. Inside was a luxurious bedroom heavy with the odor of sandalwood and jasmine. Carefully the men laid him on a four-poster bed. The lace coverlet was spread with blankets and towels as though in preparation for his arrival. When the men were gone, Amelia glanced around. Though the air was warm, she shivered. She stared at herself in the large mirror that hung above an ornate dressing table. Clustered beneath the mirror were dozens of lit candles. She wondered what was in the collection of exotic bottles that huddled in assorted groups. She knew the rumors about how Mother remained young. Shivering again, she turned away. On the wall next to the bed hung seven African masks. Beneath each one dangled a small gilded frame. In the frames were the photographs of men dressed in clothes of the 20th century. The photo in the center was slightly larger than the rest. It was of an aristocratic silver-haired man in an Armani suit. On a small table beneath the photographs stood a statue of the Virgin Mary. Beside it was a stack of skulls. Most were of animals, but three were human. In front of this shrine burned scented candles and joe sticks. Suddenly, from out of an adjoining room, came a tall, stunningly beautiful Creole woman dressed in a revealing gown of red and black lace. About her there was an air of absolute authority. For a moment she stared at the man on the bed. So, Jack Carson's, this is what it is. Yes, I see it all. The words were spoken softly with a lilting, indefinable accent. A monster attacked us. He threw Jack off the roof of our building. I thought he was dead. Amelia started to cry. Shh, 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 shh. Quickly now, his coat and shirt, remove them. He is close to death. The command in her voice was like iron coated with honey. Amelia obeyed. As his clothes were peeled off, Carson's cried out in pain. Going to her dresser, the woman opened a drawer and removed a vile-looking dagger. The slightly curved blade gleamed with Damascus steel. Carved into the ivory hilt were dozens of tiny skulls interwoven with flowers. Taking the knife to the shrine, slowly she passed it back and forth through the smoke of the incense. As she did so, she muttered indistinguishable words. Then, approaching the bed, she looked down at Carson's. Without touching his skin, she passed her open hand over his abdomen. Broken, she whispered bleeding and torn inside. Friend and lover, you are dying. No longer able to speak, Carson stared up at her with burning eyes. Can you save him? Amelia was trembling. I do not know, the lilting voice murmured. The old ones will tell us. Then she turned dark, cold eyes onto Amelia. But whatever happens, anything at all, you will remain absolutely absolutely silent. Is this something that you understand? Meekly, Amelia nodded. Yes, mother. Good, for if he dies with him into the realm of shadows, you will pass. Slowly, the woman turned her face toward the ceiling. Then she groaned and swore. Her eyes rolled up and her pupils vanished. 
From her throat came a hideous gurgle as though she were choking on her own mucus. Then a terrifying power took control. She screamed. Her face grew red and the veins and muscles in her neck bulged out. Without looking down, she raised the knife. For a moment, it hung motionless. Then, with another scream, she stabbed downward, plunging it straight into Carson's abdomen. And after plunging it in, she sliced. Blood spurted everywhere. Amelia almost fainted. Withdrawing the knife, the woman dropped it to the floor. Then she reached straight into the wound with her hand, burying it halfway up to her elbow. For almost a minute, without looking, she groped and squeezed inside his body. Then she withdrew. Bending down, she spit into the wound. With a sigh, she rose and was herself again. Wiping her gore-drenched hand on a towel, she picked up a small pitcher from the dressing table and poured the contents into the gash. It was a kind of syrup that looked like dark honey. Through the whole awful procedure, Carson's had stared straight up at the ceiling with glazed eyes, but as soon as the syrup entered his body, his eyes closed. Now he will sleep. Is he going to live? Amelia whispered. If the dark angel comes, she comes. Let us wait and see what the old ones have chosen. Picking up the knife, the woman wiped it on the towel and passed it through the shrine flames. Laying it next to the candles with a sweet smile, she left the room. Exhausted, Amelia slumped into a chair and buried her face in her hands. Two hours later, Jack Carson's eyes flew open and he screamed. Amelia, who was asleep, almost fell out of her chair. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! Carson's face was drenched with sweat. Jack! Where am I? Madame LaLaura's. How did I get here? Don't you remember? No, I had a terrible nightmare. That monster retard was trying to kill me again. It's all right. You're safe. He looked down at the wound in his abdomen. Strangely, it was beginning to heal. Did she do this? Yes. How do you feel? I don't know. Weird. At that moment, Madame LaLaura swept in, holding a silver tray covered with medical equipment. So our patient is awake. Did you sleep well in Mother's bed? No, I had hellish nightmares. Handing the tray to Amelia, she sat down next to him. Now we must fix your floppy ear. She picked up a needle and thread. Turn yourself so that Mother can see it. Carson's turned his head. This will hurt, but do not move. If you move, I will stitch it wrong, and you will look like a monster. With that, she went to work, and her fingers were none too gentle. Over and over, Carson screamed, but his head didn't move. When she was finished, Madame LaLaura turned to Amelia. This that I do, look at it. Is it straight? Though she was trying not to gag, Amelia forced herself to look. I, I think so. Yes, I think so, too. But if it is crooked, we will all have something to laugh about. <laughs> From the tray, she removed a bandage and bound it around Carson's head so it covered his ear. Then she placed a larger bandage over the wound in his abdomen. This she bound around his body. Ah, so soon you will be strong again. The old ones have spoken. But you must do what Mother tells you. She looked at Amelia. The wound, four times each day, cleanse it with soap and warm water. And after each time, fill the gash with sugar. Sugar? You mean like table sugar? Yes, sugar from your table. In two weeks he will be well. 
Can you do this? Amelia nodded. And to no other physician must you take him. If you disobey, he will die. All right, no other doctors. Carson spoke through gritted teeth. The bastard who did this to me. Ah, oh, yes, the big fat one. I'm going to kill him. Patience, my lover. Your great work is too important for you to be distracted by vermin. His time will come, for I have danced with the shadows. He said his name was Eustace. Yes, Eustace the Stupid is long known to us. Long known and longer hated. His end is near. Now dress yourself. The carriage is waiting. Rising, she hurried from the room. With Amelia's help, Carsons pulled on his shirt and coat. Then together they walked out. Half an hour later, they were sitting in his office drinking brandy from crystal snifters and watching the storm.